Where do you even begin? I have no idea. In a in a franchise of ten films. Ugh. Ten. Honestly, overwhelming. Ten. I know. And at some point you just stop. Well, if you thought it through, you could have gone like the ten commandments, you know, some some sort of <laughs> like thing, you know, or like that there's sure. twelve. Maybe you do twelve, uh, and it's like the unholy apostles. Sure. That's sort of like what Cenobites are, right? Kind of similar, yeah. 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 Um, but they didn't really plan it out that way. No, it's not planned at all. No. They kinda like <laughs> they kinda like tripped into this, I feel like. Yeah, and in fact the stories that Bar- Barker wrote yeah. um themselves are supposed to be anthology. You know, he's not like Sure. Well, after that last adventure, Pinhead made sure he'd never order tickets online ever again. And now it's, no, it was supposed to be like, they are, it's like the Sandman, you know, the Sandman is really an anthology. Now, after 75 issues, you can start to like tell a story about Dream himself and like his ultimate sort of, yeah, fate. But it's, you know, a a Spog standard Sandman story is so-and-so is doing something he shouldn't do. Right. And he gets to, you know, the end of the second act, and then he meets, a, he comes home, and there's a guy with eyes like stars in deep pool of water and flames flickering in his robe. And right. it's like, yeah, I mean, and that's kind of like, Pinhead is the Sandman of this series. Right. But even in the stories, um, because he was writing them continually, I don't know, he might still be writing them, but in... in um, um, coterminous with like the films coming out. Sure. Yeah. Um, like the fans were like, man, we love the Cenobites. And he's like, okay, I guess I'll keep using Writing them. I didn't them. necessarily intend to like have them show up all the time. So, right. But they just kind like, of became the through, through front. Yeah. And they absolutely, even <laughs> in the middle of the second movie, uh, which we'll talk about, um, became the focus of the films as well. Yes. Which I don't know. I guess we'll save that for the actual segment when we get to it. But like, what is the. <laughs> What's the draw? Like, what is it about the Cenobites that people just keep coming back to? Um, I think he's very iconic. I think when they created his look, it's something that's really creepy and and unsettling. But people can also understand in a real world sense what he is. <laughs> he got a pin on his head. Yeah, he. I mean, it's not even pins; they're nails. You know, like the sunglasses. Fat guy didn't. <laughs> didn't go through <laughs> um i don't know i mean i think i think all of the cenobites are scary and weird in their own way you know yeah. and well, uh, yeah uh but i think there's something really compelling about pinhead um that just draws people in i, I don't know if maybe it was you know uh, the actor Bradley, uh, Doug Bradley, like maybe it's his voice as well, you know, like he he seems even though he's like this, um, I, I don't Harold of hell or what have you. Um, he he's kind oh, he's, of his name is Harold. I didn't know. <laughs> I, I feel like he's very compelling, like you can't help but feel drawn to him. Yeah. Um. Like, and I think Christy feels drawn to him, too. But she, at the same time, just, like, hysterically wants to get out of there. So, um, which, I don't know, sometimes works in her favor, actually. (laughs) So. Yeah, it's, uh, well, you know, why? Yeah, we'll talk about it. We'll get there. Let's not blow it all now. Sure. Uh, We have the, (laughs) we have such sights to show you. (laughs) 
uh, on the Just Enough Trope podcast. I'm your host, Caliban, joined as always by my co-host. Hi, I'm Yukon Hana. And we are here to bring you all the news that's fit in the world of the cast and the entertainment and the good stuff. Yes. Tired. Had a Tired? big weekend. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big weekend. Uh, we went to Crypticon, Minneapolis yes. this weekend. It's one of the reasons we're talking about Hellraiser, uh, because of course Doug Bradley was there, yes. as was Ashley Lawrence, and uh, uh, uh it's a con all about uh, films, but, you know, specifically horror films, yes. thriller films, and that sort of thing. And it's not something that we had done in the past because we felt like it wasn't, like, our speed. But a little game of scream Fantastic 2000s, Scream Queens, Scream Queen. What? what? Was, what's the game called? Oh, uh, it was Slash Cards. Slash Cards, yeah. Uh, confirmed for me that uh, I think we, uh, I think we're on, on, on solid ground. <laughs> Yeah, um, you were much more knowledgeable about uh, horror films than I well, was. Well, I ended up knowing more than I thought. I never thought of myself as a horror guy, but I've seen a lot of these things, and yeah. You, as, you are a movie guy, yeah. so. and to the point, well, I'm a movie guy. <laughs> to the point where um, I could go to a panel about, uh, you know, 80s horror and sort of like the development of it, like what are the sort of tropes and stuff behind 80s horror, and have like a few bones to pick with what was going on. Yeah, right. <laughs> Right. I didn't think anybody was wrong, but I thought that they missed a few points. Um, so, yeah, we're going to talk about our experiences at Crypticon this weekend. Also about some of the guests that were there. We mentioned previously uh, Doug and Ashley, uh, yes. as I call them. Uh, also from that film, Andy Robinson was yes. there, uh, who played uh, Frank, or excuse me, Larry in the film. But and, and later also played Frank, Frank as yeah. well. Uh, it's good that they both have generic names. <laughs> you get them screwed up, it doesn't matter. He played them both. Right. And uh, also, of course, the actor behind Garrick and many other uh, films. Yes. And we'll talk about um, a talk that he gave uh, and our impressions about that. And um, what else? Um, what else? Uh, well, we'll... Burm, oh, burm. yeah. Twin Peaks. Um, uh, Cheryl Lee and Dana Ashbrook were also there. Um, yeah. And there was one other guy from Twin Peaks. I can't remember his name. So that's really helpful. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> oh, but he was one of the side characters. Yes, he was. I will know his name by the time we get to our segment about Crypticon. All right. I'll also be talking about some of the news in the world of the nerd, of course. And uh, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Cal. You know, like you said, a little tired, but um, had kind of a spooky weekend. I guess we're gearing up for Halloween. I don't know. Um, that's, that's, you can't, you have to, you know, you have to resign yourself to the fact that you're not going to be doing this on Halloween. <laughs> Nobody wants to do a spooky con on Halloween. Well, You've got your own true. Halloween plans. That's very true. So I think like perhaps early September <laughs> right. like the closest that you can get or something. Well, I mean, if you're super into Halloween, like you said, maybe you have a whole bunch of different events already planned and like your own party or what have you. So yeah. you, you wouldn't go to a con like this on Halloween, which, you know, I get your point. But like, I was like thinking, why don't we have this closer to Halloween? But yeah. I think you made it very clear. I did not. a uh, Christmas show um, with, not to get specific, but with a um, major theater company for uh, several years. Yes. And you just get used to like... Mm, that turkey was great. Well, time to keep rehearsing Christmas carols. Like you're just, <laughs> you're going to be doing previews before Thanksgiving and then right. be in Christmas all the way through. And then sometimes a couple days after uh, yes. Christmas proper. Um, that's just how it goes. Yeah. Because nobody can come and see your one, <laughs> you're not going to do one play on Christmas Eve. No. And that's no. it. No, of course not. You have to be celebrating it all month through. And I mean, I think there are some people who do enjoy that and... 
Um, you but know. I don't know. Maybe maybe you would do that. <laughs> maybe you don't have time for Christmas. <laughs> I don't. Do I don't know. Do, give me your best, uh, Jesse Ventura. Um. Uh. Oh my gosh. I don't. I just. I've don't. seen the documents. <laughs> There's secret treasure there. <laughs> Whoa. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Give me a little more. Um. Uh. I was the governator. You know? Wait a minute. No. 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 He wasn't. No. No. Okay. It's very specific. He was killed by the governator. Oh no. <laughs> in the Running Man. Um. That's uh the Running Man. The the distinction between the kind of film that should be celebrated at Crypticon is one that only I was obsessing over I think if you oh, came yeah? in and went guys I want to talk about legally blonde uh <laughs> you would have probably have you know you'd get thrown out of there but probably I'm like the running man is clearly an 80s action film yes I don't know how horrific it is um predator is a monster movie but it's a sci-fi yeah. monster movie right well it is but I think some people might consider it horror because I think some yeah, people consider can't... alien horror yeah but that's another well I think that's verging more into horror um Dutch fights back. Like you can't fight back against the monster in right unless you get everybody together and then Tommy Jarvis like kills uh, Jason or whatever. Right. Like, it's it's like a unknowable force that's going to pick everybody off and then maybe you survive because You're... you stabbed him in the eye with a hanger and you <laughs> and you didn't have sex the whole film. Right. Right. And, and you're just a, a couple, a little bit more clever than the, the killer. Right. So. But of course, you know, that's not necessarily true. Um, there are many different films are being celebrated. I mean, even like um, D- Dirty Harry, you know, uh, right. another uh, famous role of uh, Andy, Andy Robinson. Robinson. Yeah. And um, and we're just kind of talking about it right now, but we can't. We got to save it. First, we'll talk about the news. Well, I don't know if this is the right time of the year or what, but there is certainly a lot of news, uh, as there was last week and the week before, uh, just little announcements of things. Did you know that Doctor Who's Peter Capaldi uh, could be joining James Gunn's Suicide Squad I heard that, yeah. I also heard that possibly Pete Davidson would be joining it as well. Well, I'm not excited about that, but... um, (laughs) No, neither am I. Yeah, I don't know who Peter Davidson is going to play in Suicide Squad, but I heard that he was possibly joining as well. He could just be general government bad guy. Pete like, Davidson I'd like to... or Peter Capaldi? Oh, I don't care. Pete Davidson, Pete Davidson, I think, is another one that like, oh, it's um, Stand, uh, Stand Crazy by. Quilt or something, oh. and they'll just tear his head off and he'll be dead. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Peter Capaldi could be... You know, like the David Harbour role in the first Suicide Squad film, where it's just, I'm general government man guy. I don't even remember uh, Harbour. In, That's in been his role. entire career, up until the point that he put on a sheriff's uniform. Yes. And just started yelling at everybody. Right. I'm excited to, to see who Capaldi could play. I guess I'm a little surprised that he would go for something kind of mainstream. What else is he going to do? Um... Yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess I just I'm a little surprised just because he didn't seem to really like his run as a doctor. So um, but I mean, I guess a job is a job. And, uh, you know, it's how would you like mm-hmm. to be offered the chance mm-hmm. to write voice? Let's say voice okay. voice a Sailor Moon reboot. And you get the job you're excited about it you start doing it yeah it's garbage everyone hates it 
and you quit early, how would you feel about Sailor Moon after that? I would you ever I'm... want to see a sailor or a moon ever again? Probably not. I'd yeah, be pretty okay. well, sour anyway. about it. So. Pity poor Peter Capaldi yeah. then. All right. All right. Hey, His the, piles of money. The... I don't think he got that right, John. Yeah, right. right. uh, the writer of the Crazy Rich Asians film yes. is quitting the sequels because she is not getting paid the same as her co-writer. I heard about that, which is really a shame. Um, yes, I'm Adele guessing... Lim and Peter Chiarelli adapted John Chu, or not John Chu, he's the director of the film. Uh, the guy that wrote the book, I can't remember the guy's name. Right. Um, they adapted the first film, which made, I don't know, a lot of million dollars. Yeah. yeah, it made a lot of money. And she's apparently getting paid less than, than he her is. Partner. I don't know the exact split or their duties, but that's uh, that's that's where she's going. That's it. That's, that's not great. I think that's a, a problem that um, fans are becoming more aware of as um, people like writers and actors are voicing their complaints that they're not getting – a lot of female creators are not getting paid as much as their male counterparts, yeah. which is a huge problem. And I think – you know, her objecting and saying I'm leaving is, you know, a voice for change. And hopefully, well, you know, I, I hope that this is something that is going to be addressed at some point. I hope that she, I hope they bring her back. Well, yeah, that would be great. And we talked about the film on the podcast. We yes. said that we thought it was okay. I, I um, thought it was very enjoyable. Speaking of movies that maybe shouldn't be covered by certain institutions, I'm not sure that it fits, but right. we are a movie show and everybody was talking about it. We saw it. It was fine. It was fine. I don't think... I think that this is a Fifty Shades of Grey situation. Okay. Why do you You've say that? You've got a movie company, and I don't know who backed Fifty Shades of Grey, but whoever jumped on it was like, we got to jump on this. Right. Even as the film came out, the fervor over whether urban or rural uh, mm-hmm. over the whole franchise was already failing. Like the mommy porn industry was already on its way out. Right. But they knew that we got to get it up two more times, <laughs> so to speak. Yes. Uh, chain it up two more times uh, <laughs> to get every bit of blood. We'll say blood. Okay. Uh, out of this stone. We'll say stone. Right. Just in our Mad Libs here. Um, so <laughs> for that reason, you know, you've got... <laughs> You hear all these stories about the stars hate each other and they're just sleepwalking through it. Right. And they're cutting corners and, it, you know, it just doesn't, they're spending less and less on it because they're trying to protect their investment. That's where we're going with Crazy Rich Asians, right? Like everybody yeah. got caught up in the first one, but do you think two more Crazy Rich Asian films are really going to knock it out of the park? And so I think the studio is like, where can we already start saving money here? Yeah. But I, what you don't do is, I don't know how much they're getting paid, but writers get paid a fraction of what actors do right absolutely pay the writers pay the writers it wouldn't exist without them right so yeah pay the writers and then skimp on like maybe we can write out Gemma chan or you know whatever but right i think that's what's going on so it's one of those things where i don't want to be a max landis about it like i understand it but i think it's a mistake i i i don't disagree with you i mean like part of the magic of the first one was the fact that it was adapted well i think so um yeah, I, I I heard that this is, you know, Crazy Rich Asians is going to be pushed back because of this. Um, well, that's but, not good. No, it's not. 
Um, because that also, like, you know, when a film gets, a sequel gets pushed back, you know, you you risk fans losing interest, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, you got to get this out right now. Well, seriously. So, um, I mean, I hope they fix this relatively soon. Yeah, well, speaking of things that should be fixed and writers that maybe should be let go, uh, oh, there's... Boy. A, so app, things are going great at Apple TV, as we pointed out uh, uh, in the past. Sure. Uh, except they have recently scrapped a Richard Gere starring drama called Bastards that was set to premiere, I don't know, sometime soon. It's based on an Israeli TV show. Okay. And it was going to star Richard Gere as one of two Vietnam veterans. Okay. Which, he's old. He's he's old. I think he could. Yeah, anyway, fit it's, that. if it's modern day, like Vietnam veterans are pretty old at this point. Right. But anyway, uh, one of two uh, Vietnam veterans, uh, who's um, there's there's a woman that they both loved 50 years ago, who's killed in a car wow. crash. Okay. And their their regrets and their like resentments and their frustration with today's self-absorbed millennials um, means they go on a shooting spree. Oh, awesome. That's well. I can see why this was scrapped uh, because we don't we don't need to see that. Um, why was it green lit though? Uh, that is a really good question. Why was the movie that was like the game like green lit? What I forget what it was called now that it was scrapped. Um, the hunt. The hunt. Yeah, I don't I don't understand why executives like okay something like that. That's and, Bloomhouse. They okay everything. Oh well, okay. I guess you're right. They're not very discerning. I'll tell you why. Howard Gordon is the executive producer. Howard Gordon, uh, who worked on the X Files, I believe, right? Okay. Um, a long time ago. Um, he uh produced uh, and developed Twenty One. Sorry, Twenty Four. Oh, Twenty Four. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Eighteen. Uh, again. Uh, Thirteen going on thirty. A lot of numbers. <laughs> a lot of numbers in the world. Uh, 300. Uh, so he did that. Now, that is a sort of rip from the headlines. Uh, we true. don't care about the implications of what we're doing. Sure, America was just attacked, but it, things are going to be real dicey for 99.999999999% of the Muslims in the world that are innocent of any hatred of America. Right, right. And yet, they're all going to look like bad guys for the next nine years on this show. Right. They no, don't I care. Exactly. They don't care. So they had a success with that. Then they went on to develop and produce Homeland, which itself was based on an Israeli show. Oh, really? Yes. So Homeland comes out. Yes, now the ginger is right. <laughs> is a bad guy, but probably a lot of like unflattering portrayals of Muslims in that as well, right? right? Yes. So he's like, well, we're going to move away from the political stuff, but I'm going to keep my, like, he's got a subscription to IsraeliTV.com or whatever. Oh, and boy. so he's going to develop this. And now it will not go forward. Okay. Um, did they cite why? I mean, for obvious reasons. Why do you think? Yeah, okay. Um, it, yeah, it's just, mm, uh, it, it's, once again, it's a thing where I get it, I right. hate it. Because well, it's a yes. guy who has made a lot of money mm-hmm. and has a lot of success pushing the envelope, he would say. And I would say just developing things without any regard of context of, where we are as a society yes. or whether it's a good idea or not. Real world problems being reflected within the uh, material. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, I, I guess he just wanted to get some money. I don't know. Get some money. Um, I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's, it's like the, the D and D thing. It's like, let's do confederacy. Nobody's going to be pissed uh, off about that. 
Yeah. Um, it's just, like you said, it's, it's, it's insensitive to um, actually put something like this through. Well, that's what, – what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, I I think that um, you know it's uh, it it could actually affect people in in the real world who have experienced horrible things like this, or maybe who are survivors of like a shooting or what have you. So I I just I think it you're not taking into consideration like the fact that that the U.S. is in this. Um, we have been affected a lot by gun violence in the most recent years. And, uh, you know, maybe this isn't sensitive to show on TV right now. For Okay, so I left my kid at home on a transatlantic European vacation once. So should John Hughes not have made Home Alone? No, I'm not saying that. Uh, I, 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 I see what you mean. What I'm saying is... First of all, in the case of the Confederacy, what can two rich white guys bring to that story? How is that going to help anybody? Yeah, I I just... That isn't their story to tell. They have no perspective that could give us any benefit there. Mm -hmm. Um, That's half of it. And then the other half is, yeah, I mean, it's certainly a time where maybe it's calmed down now, but we had a real thing where minorities were being indiscriminately killed by policemen. Yes, and a soulless TV producer uh, who Pinhead would go, I don't want that guy. Get him out of here. Uh, just goes, ooh, that's ooh, hot. Ripped from the headlines. Right. Like, yeah, but it's a sensitive topic. What do you have to say about it, right. Jason Blum? Right, right, right. And the answer is nothing, I guess. Right. It's not like you can't do something that does attack that issue or, or ask questions about it but yeah I don't have some sort of commentary about it and like have a point that they're trying to get across slavery is bad there's your point yeah, right. there's your point right so yeah thank god and sorry Rich <laughs> his friends call him Rich I guess I don't know <laughs> I haven't been following Richard Gere what's he up to um good question he's somebody I don't who's really been know. around so long and he doesn't really yeah. like act a lot anymore no I mean, so, he was in Chicago years yeah, ago. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was pretty good. But yeah. I hope that he's like, you know, the smart people produce, right? The smart people yes. start funding things. And yeah. Danny DeVito is like a huge producer. And he's showing his ass on <laughs> on FXX every week. Right, so. right. <laughs> he's got it all going on. Yeah, he does. Uh, here's a little <laughs> roundup of some bits. Uh, the Tomb Raider sequel starring Alicia Vikander has been dated for 2021. Okay. It's just one of these things now where it's just going to happen. You're going to get it whether you want it or not. Right. Because we need to make this work. Apparently. And I think the the tide is a little too high. I think we could use a drought. <laughs> Lifting too many boats? Yeah. Yeah. Because whether or not it succeeds, and it didn't really succeed. I'm not sure that it made a profit, but uh, the rights holders flash. are going to keep trying. And then when the second one doesn't work, they axe Alicia and get somebody else. Right. Um, maybe Samara Weaving. Apparently people like her killing people in uh, this other hunting movie, uh, Ready or Not, right? <laughs> right? And so, but apparently they can keep drumming up enough money from investors or wherever they get their money that they can keep making these flops. So... Yeah. I don't know, man. Is, is it a thing like the producers? Like, do they get more money from a flop? Well, oh, no, it's all insured. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they they don't really lose anything from right. from losing money. But right. 
I don't know. <laughs> um, so that could be something uh, we've talked previously a while ago about the, um, was it Cosmatos, uh, um, George or Patty Cosmatos, the Mandy guy? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Was backing a um, Colorado Space movie, a Lovecraft film starring Nicolas Cage. Yes. Uh, that has that. been, it's actually premiering at uh, the Toronto International Film Festival, uh, oh. TIFF, uh, this last weekend. Oh, uh, but so it is, it's done. Yeah, but okay. it, uh, it has been purchased and it will get uh, distribution. So Oh, good. That's, yeah, I'm excited about I, that one. I'm looking forward to seeing that. I really enjoyed Mandy quite a bit, so... Um, Nicholas Cage. Speaking of wow. Uh, speaking of uh, what, what do you want? Uh, Cenobites. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mandy has had the sort of redneck Cenobites, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, he, I mean, they were all kind of scary in their own way, but like he just like cuts through them like butter. Well, yeah. <laughs> Which is you know. Um, but it's just like you see a bunch of like S and M flavored demonic characters uh it just makes me think of cenobites well very true um you know and one complete with a chainsaw which i mean the cenobites didn't have that but no if they did it would be um teeth would be literal teeth would be the teeth of the chainsaw yes it would have like balls or something like that um (laughs) crunchy crunchy roll uh has bought viz media europe uh the anime distributor sure Crunchyroll was the network that we all laughed at 10 years ago. Right. <laughs> when we were getting our uh, Netflix discs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> from Flickster or whatever. Right. Uh, and I never had any faith in it, but it's an- the anime train is going strong. They're doing pretty well, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, I, I guess you can watch a lot of stuff for free, but you get commercials and then... You pay a little bit more and you get to see a little bit Oh, it's bit just, more it's the model that everything has now. Right. You know, we're going to talk like about Hulu. Hellraiser later and how we watched it on Con TV, which is like, I know. Shutter, how'd you blow that one? Right. Oh, boy. <laughs> You're signing up for all these networks and it costs. $65,000. No, it's like, uh, what's what's the podcast called? I can't remember. But we... Is it the Nerd Crew podcast? Yeah, well, yeah, that's what they're making fun of it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, the City in the Middle of the Night, the book from Charlie Jane Anders, has been oh. optioned for a series. Oh, fun. From okay. Sony TV, which is not quite as exciting, but uh, oh. yeah. That's really well, good news. Um, I'm kind of interested in reading that. Actually. Yeah, I still it's on my nightstand. I haven't got to it yet. Okay. Um, just a couple years. I I know. So I'm so glad for her. Yeah, I know. We were this close to getting an interview with her. Yes. When it yes. was possible, and I now know. she is way far out of She's, our sight now. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe we can get her. Somebody else who I thought we had a shot at now that the, her role in the Marvel movies is over. Uh, and now she'll be gone forever is Haley Atwell. Oh, boy. Who is joining the cast of the next Mission Impossible film. Yes. Now I have to see the creepy Superman one. And I, I thought I could skip that one. I know. Because it's got creepy Superman. But nope, now I got to know what happens. I know. So I can watch Haley Atwell uh, kick some butt in that. Yeah. What do you think she's going to be? Um, I think it would be awesome if she was like another spy. Like maybe she's like good guy, bad guy. Um, I'm just thinking like a good guy, like a, a British like associate, you know, who can help him out. Now, is it something. Rebecca Ferguson who is? I know she's um, Scandinavian or whatever, but mm-hmm. she's she was British in the films, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. So um, I don't know. She's. Do you think that role is already sort of filled? Blonde, yeah. yeah. So I think Haley's going to be a bad guy. 
Well, that would be exciting too. I want to see I've your, I want to see her, her like reload her, her arms, her fists. You know, <laughs> <laughs> comes out swinging. That, that would be awesome. Um, I'm excited to see her because I just I really like her. I think she's a great actress, and she was in that unfortunate series where she was like a drug addict or something like that, and that didn't go very well or very long. Um, high functioning. Yes. High functioning drug addict. Yes, exactly. She was a what was she, a DA or? She was somebody she was in the government. She was a fixer or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, yeah. So, I'm excited to see that she's doing something else. And, you know, the Mission Impossible movies, that's another series. I don't, I don't know how many we're up to already. But it's like, it keeps going and it's not getting worse. Like, it, they, they vary in quality, I think. But you can't say but the also initial do, ones were better than the later ones. Right. And how do, But how do you judge, say, a completely mindless action spectacle where True. The Rock kicks a torpedo at a submarine <laughs> with a character drama about a FBI agent who falls in love with the sister of, like, his target right. and leaves his... Life behind. It's point break. It's point break. It's point break. Yeah, right. For a life of thrills. Right. I mean, I would say that there's more character and drama in that film than the rock one. But, right. But, but at this point, we're just so beaten into submission that, yeah, it's the same thing with, um, unfortunately, not the Hellraiser movies. But, right. yeah, Mission Impossible. And so, and that's what Tomb Raider and all these other things are trying to emulate. In some cases, yes. they're not really emulating because they're produced by the same people companies yeah and, yeah yeah and um and franchises and so they're like we'll just keep just keep putting keep it down it out. the difference is is that the brian de palma mission impossible was a big success as was uh the first uh fast and furious mm-hmm. a modest mm-hmm. success for what they spent on it so right but like when the first tomb raider film people are like i don't think so and you're like seconds i i know it's kind of a weird move honestly but like you said you know maybe it's fake it till you make it yeah exactly hellraiser 11 (laughs) i don't know how to feel about this speaking of having to watch things in order to catch up uh looks like jillian anderson will be playing margaret thatcher in season four of the crown oh my gosh oh i had not heard that um okay all right um, I love The Crown, personally. I think it's a wonderful series, um, and I'm excited to uh, see... Oh, gosh, I'm forgetting her name now. Olivia this, Coleman. Thank you. Olivia Coleman and all the other actors who are uh, playing the older versions of the characters. Um, kind of interested in seeing Helena Bonham Carter play um, the Queen's sister. And uh, see what she does with the role. Um, I mean, the sisters, she's kind of um, a bad girl, you know, like she just rebels and just kind of does whatever style she wants. And uh, <laughs> so anyways, um, but they do actually cover actual events and stuff like that that actually happens. And sometimes they share like photos or like a little thing that says like oh, the little update of like what actually happened with the the events. And I think that that's really interesting and makes the show that much more intriguing. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, are they going to get into, uh, like, Fergie and Diana? I, th- I and think like they will. I think Charles. Diana and Charles have been cast for oh, okay, this okay. new season. Because right. that's, I don't, I wasn't alive in the 50s. I don't remember her coronation well, right, or anything like that. But. right. And and we are skipping forward a little bit in time. Right. So, um, are we going to do a Saving Private Ryan with uh, Claire Foy and then like <laughs> face turns into <laughs> Olivia Coleman's? 
I don't Otherwise, know if we're gonna do, do that. How do I know who that is? Right, right. Um, maybe we'll do a morph from a photograph. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I'm interested to to see where the story picks up. So. We've seen a uh, shared from the set of Bill and Ted Face the Music, Bill and Ted 3. We've seen a picture of William Sadler in his death makeup. Oh and he's boy. eating a plate of chicken. It's a, it's a lunch break or something. <laughs> so as far as promotion goes, I know we like these little glimpses, you know, behind the scenes. But right. that's uh, that's pretty thin. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I love that he's in his death makeup and he's eating. That's just well, so, yeah, yeah, so yeah, weird. To. I know. I know. But I love that that's the photo that leaks. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if the main makeup person uh, is up at 3 a.m. doing all the prosthetics. Yeah. Then they go home and the apprentice assistant has to stick around through the shooting day and to touch up your lips and your chin oh, when yeah. you get chicken grease on it. Well, I bet you're the right about that. The main person doesn't do that. Yeah. They're going home. I bet you're Take right. Yeah. Uh, that sounds about right to me. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to mention real fast for anybody who cares, uh, Disney has inked a long-term deal uh, to use um, pretty much all of Pinewood Studios in London. Pinewood Studios is the historic studios where many classic films were made in England. um, You know, Alien, uh, a lot of Star Wars, um, James Bond films. It's like this studio. There's a Pinewood in Atlanta that Disney has used. Interesting. Um, for the last 10 years or so. Okay. Um, many of the Marvel films were shot in Atlanta. Sure, yeah. Um, but they are basically buying up most of the original Pinewood in England. Okay. Uh, so Pinewood was a studio on its own and now Disney is buying it. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, Pinewood's okay. just like the you know company or whatever right. um, that okay. owns it. But yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, interesting. I wonder if it, it must be less expensive to uh, film there as well as Atlanta in some way. Well, you know, I think this is a move in part because of some of the decisions that Georgia lawmakers have made uh, where companies are going, well, we're not going to do it anymore. Oh, I see what you're saying. And I think that this is... You can say what you will about Disney. Please stop making live action remakes of your cartoons. Please. Oh, I don't think they're going to stop anytime they never will. soon. But they're a company that puts their money where their mouth is because, like we said, they invested quite a bit in Georgia over this time. Yes, and they then did. And this thing happened and they went, well, we're not going to go with that. And now they're spending half a billion dollars to move a lot of stuff to, to, to Georgia. Okay. Or, excuse me, to England. Okay. All right. So well, they put their, I understand. their money where their uh, equipment and actors and. Studio is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that makes sense. Um, well, I, I'm kind of glad that they made that move, honestly, because um, it it means they have some sort of integrity, you know? Live action Aladdin. <laughs> okay. All right. Besides their live action films. Live which, action Tangled. I, I know. We should make a live action Hunchback of Notre Dame. How come nobody's ever done that? Why do that? <laughs> They're they're live action Lion King. I just I just can't I can't even get over it because it's not it's not live action. It's just a different form of animation. A lot of money. I know. Anyway, yeah. And uh, when the time comes, um, they're gonna get what nominations for live action or for for animated animated film because they want to claim their live action. But will they be nominated for? Actually, it doesn't matter if your best picture, I guess. Right. Ever since uh, Beauty and the Beast, but. 
Uh, let's not talk about it. Uh, okay. One more thing before we go, talking about movies. It uh, looks like the Joker film from Todd Phillips. Yes. And Joaquin Phoenix is doing great. It took home the Golden Lion from the Venice Film Festival. That's their, like, best picture. Wow. I'm not sure how I feel about this. Because, I know how I feel. Oh, how do you feel? I hate it. Yeah. Um, not excited about this film, and this award doesn't make me any more excited Aren't about you excited it. that a comic book movie won, won the Venice Film Festival? Yeah, but is it really... Legitimacy. Oh, my goodness. There are so, I, I feel in my heart that there are way more... Like, there are a lot better comic book movie films than this film. And I'm not exactly sure why this one took it Yeah, but if you haven't seen it, then you can't judge it. All right. Well, I guess I can't totally judge (laughs) it. You can absolutely judge it. Okay. (laughs) Please, please do. Uh, Nothing, I mean, you've made it clear what it's about. Yes. You know, it's about, (laughs) it's about an incel who, (laughs) dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Uh, Yay. It's an, it's a Joker origin film. And we, nobody asked for it. And it's so, it's super derivative, right? Like, I don't know. What, you know, the reception for Taxi Driver was at Venice Film Festival. I could look it up, I guess. Right. But it's just Taxi Driver, right? Yes. So first of all, it's derivative. Second of all, I think Taxi Driver doesn't make you identify with Travis Bickle. You see how crazy he is. Right. And then the fact that he is basically, the, you know, the hero of the film at the end is kind of like a, well, who, who's crazier, him or the world? You know what I mean? Right. Whereas, like, this just seems like we're supposed to identify with this yes. weirdo who's clue, clearly lost touch with humanity and is doing bad things now. Like, you're not supposed to make a hero out of the Joker because I know it's separate. It doesn't necessarily take place in DC's universe uh-huh. of films, but there will be a sequel for sure, won't there? Probably. But when you fast forward on a long enough timeline, he is the Joker, and we're not supposed to go, well, you know that Joker, he just got a bad a bad shake. Like, he is a bad guy. Yeah. He's a murderer. He he, he is a murderer, and I, I don't... Can't wait. Uh, Can't wait. I Yeah. Not... Second prize goes to Roman Polanski for Officer and a Spy. Are you kidding It's a real me? bad year for me, too. Yeah. Oh, boy. That is just... That just... Shows me that it's not great award-winning stuff. I mean, I just, like, there. there's not a lot of thought put into it. Uh, I think there is thought. I think that Europe specifically is thumbing its nose at... At America? At the, at the Me Too movement. Great. They did this with... Uh, oh, also, I should say that uh, only two out of, like, the nine people considered for the golden line were female directors you know the of the directors of the films okay so yeah we got a problem it's like a couple of years ago when they had the whole thing with uh um angle m uh comics festival awards mm-hmm. where there was a protest because like no comics by female creators were considered right. for like the top prize right and th- so there's a lot of backlash and then the next year they did a thing where they had the presenters come out in like slinky dresses <laughs> Like they had the the oh girls who present goodness. the awards, and they read that like the winner is such and such a thing from like a female creator, and then they're like, oh no, we're just kidding, it's Bob Johnson or something like that. Yeah, so they're just that's just okay. I'm sure we talked about this at another point in time, yeah. but that is just ridiculous and in, and and in that's infuri- the word you're for. infuriating. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's the worst. Yeah. It really is the worst. Yeah. I wonder why you guys have so many scandals and stuff like that, of course. I wonder why you voted for an incel film. Four fingers pointing back at us as far as the uh, scandals go, but at least we can still be outraged by something. Uh, Hey, speaking of outrage. Yeah. 
Is this... uh, are we? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm outraged by where my table is at this con. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about Crypticon. Uh, yes. The governor, uh, who's yes. still, that's still Schwarzenegger. Uh, the, Jesse the Mind did have a good spot at the yes. con. Uh, he was uh, centrally located uh, where you come in. And had a lot of people lined up at his table yes. all weekend to talk to him. Uh, he's one of the stars that appeared at the con. Uh, also, uh, we talked about before, Doug Bradley was there. Yes. Ashley Lawrence and Andrew Robinson mm-hmm. from Hellraiser. Uh, Caroline Monroe was there, uh, star of The Spy Who Loved Me, of course. But mm-hmm. also many, many amazing, horrible, <laughs> low-budget, bad <laughs> movies. <laughs> Uh, like Which Star is what Crash this con Maniac. is all about. Yeah, yeah, really the B-Sensibility. Yes. Uh, or even C-Film. Uh, Heather Langenkamp was there as well. Yes. Uh, from Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Uh, oh, the first one, of course. Yeah. Uh, New Nightmare. Uh, she was in one of the Hellraisers, too. I think one of the she? most recent ones. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, like the Hellraiser 9 or whatever. They're like, enough of Christy. Let's bring her in from Nightmare. <laughs> well, it wasn't. Yeah, I don't think it was a crossover. Okay. But, uh, there that was actually There fun. was a canceled crossover between... Halloween and, uh, yeah, and Hellraiser. The oh one my that gosh. Michael Myers meets Pinhead. But I even like Clive Barker, idea. who I don't think was involved in it, was like, don't do that, guys. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, okay, we're not going to do it. That's cheap. Don't do it. Yeah. Okay. All well, right. the fans of Hellraiser are I'm all fans of all child's play. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Right. Basket case or whatever. Right, like, right. Uh, they're all protective, but fans of Hellraiser are really um, protective of, of Hellraiser. Okay. Well, I mean, that makes sense, I guess. Well, anyway, uh, going on, um, some other people who we didn't really, um, I don't think that we um, saw them or heard them speak, but were there. Um, Jennifer Rubin was there. It was an actress who was in Nightmare on Elm Street 3, uh, Dream mm-hmm. Warriors, and who... I feel like I have seen, she was in like a bunch of like bad, like directed video movies in the 90s, but okay. I feel like I've seen every movie that she was in. <laughs> and I really wanted to um, talk to her, but I forgot. No, oh, that's all good. Um, <laughs> the kid from Pet Cemetery and I from know. New Nightmare, of course, uh, also was there. Um, yes. Uh, Miko Hughes. Uh, some Twin Peaks stars were there. Cheryl Lee. Yes. Uh, Dana Ashbrook, of course, mm-hmm. were there. Um, as well as uh, Chris Mulkey is the guy that you were looking for. There we go. Um, he's a character actor. Who, he's one of those guys you'd know him right away if you saw him. Yes. Um, yeah, he was there. And yeah, it was a pretty good, um, it was a pretty good uh, roster lineup. I, I think so, too. And that was actually one of the main reasons why I wanted to go. I felt like they had some really great guests this year. Um, not that they haven't had great guests in the past. Well, but it was like, packed this year. Yeah, but I, I just felt like um, they had a lot of people that I wanted to see. Um, we un- unfortunately missed the Twin Peaks panel, but um, <laughs> yeah. we, we were able to see the Andrew Robinson panel, which was really great. Um, that was nuts because I know uh, he's been on my Star Trek show. Yes. Uh, Enterprising Individuals. So I know that he is like a, he's a talker. Yes. Um, and he's, he's a good talker. He has interesting things to say. And he's also the kind of person who, I don't think that he, <laughs> he, he only says what he wants to say. Oh, I don't yeah. think that he'll like say something to make you feel good. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. I'm making him sound like a jerk. Saying. I'm not saying he's a jerk. No. But he's opinionated, and um, and he's he's a thoughtful guy because he's been doing this. He's in his mid to late seventies. Mm-hmm. He's been doing this for fifty years. Right. And he's only done the things that he has wanted to do. Right. You know, they offered him Hellraiser two, and he was like, I don't think so. No. I think we've 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 done all we can there. Right. Might have also been about pay, but anyway. Uh, he didn't do what he doesn't want to do. He does what he yes. does. And I think he's thought a lot about his career and the trajectory that he's had. And that's the kind of stuff that he talked about. 
on his panel. And as we were sitting down and sort of walking in and, and getting ready for him to show up at the panel, the MC was talking about, hey, we got um, Hellraiser fans out there. Woo! Who, who loves Dirty Harry? Yeah. <laughs> who loves Child's Play 3? Yeah, okay, yeah. Right. So it's like, oh, this is a horror crowd, right? A lot Where... of neck tattoos out here. Yes. It's going to be great. He sits down. First question. I love Garrick from Deep Space Nine. Can you talk about the character of Garrick? Oh, I love Garrick, too. He's amazing. You know, <laughs> talking about Garrick. Hands, time lapse are spinning on the clock. Half an hour goes by. We're still talking about Garrick. I know. And somebody else is going, who else likes Garrick? The audience is like, whoa, yeah, Garrick, Garrick. I know. And they had like they had like they questions. severely underestimated uh, like uh, the Star Trek fandom. Well, yeah, and just like the impression there. that he had uh, in that role as Garrick. Yeah, I know. And then I was like, he mentioned that he was only in like thirty nine episodes, which I was just like flabbergasted by because I just I feel like I saw Garrick way more than that. But he no, he was a featured you know a player, but not a, right. not a regular cast member. Right, and and he he mentioned that that was like the right amount for him because he yeah, wouldn't well, want to be that's, a regular. That's part of my comment about him kind of knowing what he wants and doing what he wants to do because he was like, I wouldn't want to go in and do every single day. I'm doing you know fourteen hour days. Like it's just an it's just thirty six or forty episodes. Right, it's just enough for me to like okay, I need gonna need to work again, and then I go in. They put the makeup on, and I don't love the makeup, but right. I can handle that much. And so it's nice to be able to be in a position where you can say, like, I don't want to go every day, and I don't have to. Right. Um, maybe if you're, I don't know, Max Gredenchik or something, you're like, oh, I'll, I'll do as many as you want me to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I need the jobs. I need the money. Right. Uh, but apparently he didn't. Um, and, of course, uh, after having some iconic roles... Like Scorpio yes. and <laughs> Sheriff in uh, Child's Play 3 or whatever. Right. Then he was like, did a little directing. Uh, and then he was, you know, he moved into academia. And he yes. became a teacher and he worked, um, I can't remember what school, USC? Gosh, I can't, can't remember, remember what it Somewhere was, in California. He yeah, he developed a uh, master's program for actors. Yes. And that's, there was a lot more talking about acting than I expected. Yes. Now, as somebody who studied acting myself, I've heard the kind of speech that he gave a million times. Oh, for sure. But for the kid with the Monster Energy shirt and the uh, ear spikes in front of me, I have to wonder, like, what he thought about some of that talk. Well, and, like, I another thing I thought that was interesting... Because he was talking about how, like, acting is not innocent. Right. He was talking about the death threats that he soul. received yeah, after yeah, yeah. playing uh, Scorpio or whatever. Yes. And... He was pretty sanguine about it. He was like, acting is not innocent. And I'm yes. like, which t- chapter is that the title of in your book? <laughs> I know, right? Well, and I, I thought that was very interesting. At the beginning of his talk, he was just kind of standing. And then later on, he stood as well. And I just kind of thought, you know, he's kind of taking this as like a lecture, like a like a, a faculty member would be lecturing about about acting. Yeah. Um, And I think that was a big part of his talk and he wanted to you know get across that like you know acting is about bearing your soul and um you know you have to be willing to be vulnerable in order to get a great performance and using your instruments yes and all these other cliches that we've heard yes you know, you're, you're also an actor so exactly yeah i thought that that was interesting i thought that it was interesting that he said that um, of all the things that he's done, all these scary things. Yes. The one thing that affected him, um, in addition to being kind of claustrophobic and having to wear a lot of makeup, mm-hmm. uh, was uh, acting opposite Chucky. 
Like yes! that freaked him out. Yes. <laughs> because they've got this animatronic doll and it's one thing to be across from Clint Eastwood and he's got hate in his eyes and he's pointing a gun at you. And it's another thing to like have this just inanimate object sort of yes. moving around and being like, oh. It's, um, I, I, I it's can't chilling. Remember. Yeah, it was chilling. I can't remember what he had some metaphor, but the metaphor I thought of was it'd be like being the lead singer for the Rock of Fire explosion. Okay. Right? Uh, sure. That's the animatronic band oh, okay. at yeah. Circus Circus. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. They kind of terrifying as, yeah. a little, as a little kid. And Fronting, then, like, being like, all right, one, two, three, please don't kill me. And, and like, I've, I feel like the longer that I went, like, the lower their batteries got. Oh, and, like, the more <laughs> animatronic they became. into something I didn't know about here. <laughs> We also learned, I forgot, oh, he had had a great story about uh, making Cobra with uh, yes. Sylvester Stallone, uh, which I don't know if you've heard before. We'll save it for some other show, I guess. And also, um, I did not know that he played Liberace no. in the 80s in yes. a Liberace TV film, which I must have seen. I know for a fact that I saw something Liberace related. I okay. might have been a little too young to really remember or get what was going on. But yeah, it was. Uh, he played Liberace. Yeah, and then when he pointed, he pointed it out. Yeah, facial similarities. I could see it. Yes, a little, little Liberace there. Yeah, and and he also said something like he he felt like Liberace was a really great predecessor to Garrick. Like they were like related. <laughs> yeah, you know. And then somebody in the crowd suggested that they do like a mashup of like Garrick and Liberace. Yes. So. Um, I think that would be pretty great. I think um, that would be amazing. I want to see that somewhere. He also said that he hated Liberace because when he was growing up as a kid, yes. he was, you know, like a lot of acting kids are, like he was sort of outspoken and he would do a little dance for you and stuff like that. And they called him like Liberace. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't uh, laughing anymore, though, when uh, later on he got to <laughs> play, <laughs> play Liberace. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So that uh, reconciled him and the great one. Does Liberace have a a, a, a nickname or a? Not that I know of, him? but I I can't say that I'm like really up on like Liberace. Um, I I <laughs> Liberace as a thing mm-hmm. is leaving us, right? Yeah, I think, I think it, so. every once in a while it picks back up. When Mike Myers made the Liberace joke in Austin Powers, yeah, I remember thinking, who's gonna get that? <laughs> Well, there was a movie not that long ago. Was it Michael Scott. Douglas and uh, yes, Matt Scott. Damon? Yeah, right. That yeah. kind of fired it up again. But yes. every time you do fire it up, I think it dies down a little faster. Yeah, I don't... There aren't think... a lot of people talking about Al Jolson. And I'm not... Comp- that was complicated. I'm not comparing wow. Al Jolson. But I'm just talking about like no. the era of these great entertainers, um, Bayhive aside, uh, is is over. Do you know what I mean? You're not yeah. going to tune in for a special with so-and-so on broadcast TV that we're all going to see. The Super Bowl is the closest you get to that now. Well, that's true. So, like, Liberace was like, yeah, he was huge. And yeah. also the idea of this ostentatious uh, display of wealth as right. compared to old white guys doesn't exist anymore. That's moved towards, like, I think, like, the hip-hop community. Sure. You know, Yeah, seeing, I can see that. Yeah, just, like, you know, rappers and bling and stuff like that. But yeah. just the fact that, like, some old 
gay guy. He's <laughs> wearing I like know. a rhinestone coat and it's like, ooh, candelabras. Well, like we're not really doing that anymore. <laughs> I think like the closest that we still have to that would probably be Elton John, but I don't know how flamboyant he still is. But that's, but that's what I'm saying though. Like, he's not really he's, Elton John anymore. No, he's he's like a tamer version of himself. Like yeah. he, he's not as out there as he used to be. Well, the heart surgery is part of that. But yeah, I he's still suppose. Gone. He's still gone. I'm kind of... Like, I'm just thinking back as, like, Garrick, and he was, like, a tailor. Like, I'm kind of surprised, like, he didn't wear more flamboyant outfits every But he's playing while. simple, Garrick. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> I got you there. Joy and pain are like sunshine and rain. Sing it now, God's children. Joy and pain are like sunshine and rain. Rain give to a raw we have such pods to cast you. <laughs> There's only so many. What's like? What's the premiere? I guess that's the premiere pin headline. I think it is. That um, are. What's this? <laughs> when he yes. gets handed a picture. Right. Exactly. Maybe not that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, we wanted to talk about Hellraiser. Um, yes. Specifically because we got to run into Andy Robinson. Mm-hmm. Um. But also because you had never seen it before. No, it and, was it was new to me. And when I heard that you hadn't seen it, I jumped. I was like, "Oh, you got to see it!" Yes. And so I showed it to you. Yes. And did your response? Did, did my did did your response justify my excitement? I think so. Um, it, it's I, I it, it's it's makes your skin crawl. And I, yeah, off your body, right? Exactly. Uh, it's very gross and juicy. Uh, and as Andrew Robinson said himself, kind of a kinky film. That's a that's a kinky film, (laughs) which just now makes me laugh. Just hearing it's true, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, I, I think it's just like a really interesting story. And like he talked about this in his talk a little bit too. It's the reason it's compelling is that it is based in real world types of thing. You know, like there's this guy who's kind is, of. Is it? Well, there's this guy who's kind of a schmuck who doesn't realize that his marriage is loveless and uh, all he really wants is love from his wife. And he's not getting it, and he doesn't understand why. Well, okay. Put a pin in the exploration (laughs) of desire. Nice. I like what you did there. you can talk about what happens in this first film. Okay. Uh, Well, what happens is um, we see this character, who we later learn is Frank, and he purchases this box, this puzzle box from this old man old asian man because <laughs> this somewhere. is gremlins i guess i, I guess i don't know <laughs> they're in morocco but you would, i don't think places. you would know that from no i don't think there's a chiron or anything but then he ends up back at the the house this abandoned house that like was in the family for a really long time and he's kind of like squatting there we learn later um but he has candles all around him and he's trying to figure out this puzzle box it opens the, you see the Cenobites and like he's pulled apart. And the next thing we see... What? Cenobites? Uh, Cenobites are like these... They're delicious. Wow. From General Mills. Yeah. Uh, they're like these four heralds of hell. Uh, they're like are pain they? and pleasure or something like that. You know, like they, they are connected to this box. And if you open it, you call them. The box... You, you don't know in these films, you are given lore later on, or I guess it's in the 
short stories. Uh-huh. Um, the Hellbound Heart is the first short story. I think it's from the Books of Blood uh, sure. short story collection by Barker, which I recommend. Um, Andy Robinson talked about reading it um, yes. as well. Um, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, it is chilling, not just in like a Stephen King, like ooky spooky kind of way, but in like right. the things he comes up with don't, like why is there a guy with pins in his head right and why are chains flying from a weird angle and gripping your flesh and what does any of this mean right why is there a obelisk that shines not light but dark you know like yes you don't understand these it's it's like in the great tradition of like lovecraft like why is this i don't understand why this is happening yes it's gooey yes it's got teeth and it's scary but also i can't understand what this is i get a guy in a hockey mask with a machete (laughs) I get what that is, but like yeah. I don't understand what this is. Like that's the real horror of it. Yeah, it's, I think it's it's otherworldly. Yeah, and so anyway, like the Cenobites are—I don't know what would you call them. Um, it's like it, it's a kinky, like, it's a kinky movie. It's yeah, a kinky movie. Yeah, uh, they're they come from another dimension. I think that yes. it becomes you know just connected with hell as we go later on because that's. Yeah. Again, that's easier to understand, I think. A- absolutely. But they come, they say that they're like explorers of pain and pleasure. And that's they, true. you know, Frank contacts them because he's apparently like a sex addict who's just seen and done it all. Yeah. You know? And he's just looking to feel something. Yeah. It's more or less <laughs> which, what he says. <laughs> which, not to give anything away, but when he has sex with his brother's wife, it's like, the most basic missionary sex ever. I read that they did have like some spanking, I think, that the yes. British sensory board was like, we got to take that out. It's like... Well, <laughs> the kinkiest part of this you take out. Yeah, anyway. Anyways. But <clears throat> we learned that the box is called the Lament configuration. Okay. Which I always want to say the Lamont configuration. <laughs> like, like the author? It's a chance to show you, you big dummy. <laughs> I guess <laughs> Sanford and Son. Right. Uh, but anyway, no, it's uh, yeah, the Lambert configuration. Okay. Um, and I just think that, like, the more lore you learn, the less interesting it becomes, in oh, my opinion. Oh, because it's not as mysterious, oh, then, yeah. once you learn what that actually is. But we'll get into it. So, sorry. So, anyway, yeah. So, so they, they show up and Larry go, and Julia show up. We, oh, oh, okay. So, yeah, Larry's Larry's gone. Or Frank's gone. Sorry. Frank's gone. Yeah. Uh, and Larry and Julia show up. They decide that they're going to move in. And uh, he gets a call from his daughter, Christy, who's, I don't know, college or out of college. She <laughs> No more deals, you big dummy. <laughs> Sorry. She, she's like, I got a room somewhere and she gets a job. We later learn at a weird pet shop. I don't know. Yeah, she works at a pet stop, uh, shop randomly. Yeah. And I also heard that this was originally uh, set in England, but then they read dubbed part well, it was shot in england yeah right um again like a lot of uh, films were uh, in the 80s a lot of classic films and yeah i think a lot i think because we, we were like wondering where the movers are like hey what do you want this mattress yeah but then like julia is clearly british I think it fits her character but she's english yeah yeah and so i think that the movers were probably like oh i love and nice. then they redubbed them. Yeah, and then they redubbed them to be like American. Yeah. yeah, and like I guess it takes place transatlantic, is what I read. Like it's it's really not specified. As the lore goes on, I think it it's sort of retconned to be like Pittsburgh or something like okay. that. Okay, okay, because she is on a wharf at some point. Yes, because 
Clive Barker, as he will admit, had no idea what he was doing and just shot a lot of stuff. Right. And was like, oh, we'll just use that. So. Right. Right. Yeah, I remember her walk, and I'm not exactly sure why we saw that, except to <laughs> see that like she was in a big city and she was so small all on her own. Yep. Um, so basically, um, Larry cuts his hand. The blood on the floorboards in the attic bring uh, brings Frank back, and Julia goes up there because she hears something, and then Frank, um, they had had sex before the wedding or something like that. He had kind of kissed her into this sort of uh, kinky lifestyle. Yes. Um, Which, I don't know. I think that these films, if they weren't slasher films, could explore a little more the characters. Yeah. Like one of my favorite scenes in the film, and I read that they actually got less out of this scene than they wanted. They had to cut it down, is the scene in the Chinese restaurant, Mm -hmm. which where after... Larry's just been through, you know, Julia's doing her stuff off yes. camera and Larry doesn't really understand <clears throat> what's happening. Right. But he meets with his daughter who, you know, he clearly cares about and he's just like, this whole time he's been this buffoon and he's kind of a stuffed shirt. Yeah. And he's kind of like presumptuous. But compared to the other characters in the film, he's an angel, you know. And yes. he just says to his daughter, like, can you just please go see Ta- how she's you know, doing just, yeah have a glass of wine with her like befriend your stepmom because yes. i don't know what to do I well sh- i she won't even talk to me and i, I really need your help and they yeah. couldn't <laughs> there might have been more to that scene but apparently um the guy that was supposed to let them in to the chinese restaurant to film <laughs> like showed up late so they couldn't do like half the scene but right uh, anyway i think it's a nice scene it is a nice scene and uh, he also, we also get the information which we hadn't heard before that apparently Julia doesn't really want to leave the house, which to the audience makes sense, but to him just bewilders him more. Yeah. Because it she seems doesn't like want to leave Frank. just not adjusting, but yeah, she doesn't want to leave Frank. And then as we find out later on, she starts bringing men home to kill so that yes. Frank can get their blood. Absorb or... their, yeah, fluids. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know the the story. The short story is called "The Hellbound Heart," and we. I love that first thing that we see with the blood, you know, re- reverse <laughs> gets seeped into the yes. floor, and then we go down the floorboards and we see like some like a heart baggy. <laughs> it's a plastic baggy, but yeah, yes. it's like a heart type thing that is absorbing this blood. Yeah, yeah, and it's really super gross, and you don't really know what's happening, and then you see like this body start to like come out of the floorboards, and it's like. Oh, it's so gross and so creepy, but it's some good good work. Yeah, and as far as I know, I don't think it was like a Rick Baker joint or anything like that. Like it's no, maybe the guy that did it. I should probably look it up. Uh, I don't know if he went on to do anything, but it's it's some pretty good effects. It is some pretty good effects. Yeah. I think it's um, pretty effective. This is where the goo comes in. Yeah, a gooey I know. movie. It's a very gooey movie, yeah. and like I think the makeup guys did a really great job too, um, or makeup gals, the makeup people did a really good job. The, f- on the this Frank film. suit. Yes, <laughs> exactly. The suit on the Frank suit. Yeah, exactly. Um, Somebody get these people terry cloth robes because. <laughs> Your little Oxford is not holding that uh, juice in there. No, it's not. So we've got the basic the plot of the movie set up at that point. Uh, we're going to get body after body. Yes. It's sort of showing how Julia herself is sort of now being drawn into this and is complicit. Mm-hmm. And eventually um, Christy learns the truth. Yes. And so she runs out of there. Um, there's with a, the box. With the box, yeah, because she's got this box. 
that's been part of this. Um, and she's got a boyfriend character that doesn't really matter, so we probably won't mention him again. Right. He's and, kind of a goober. Yeah. And Christy ends up in the hospital because uh, she passes out, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, she's is... running away on the street. Oh, this is something else. We'll, we'll talk about Christy, I guess, more in a second. But she's running away and she just sort of collapses, I guess, in shock right. after seeing her flayed uh, uncle. Yes. He abused her, right? Yeah. When she was a kid. That only makes right? sense. You don't have a predator like him around. Right. So there's a backstory to Christy, but I think, unfortunately, in this film, she's just sort of the plucky final girl. Yes. Um, even in the second film, which we watched. I don't know how much we'll talk about. Maybe we'll get a little bit too. Um, yeah, we don't really get... A lot about Christy. No, we don't. Or Kirstie, excuse me, unfortunately. But yeah, so she wakes up in the hospital um, and she has the... Well, first of all, she has these weird dreams. She does. Is she psychic? Excuse me. I think you you mentioned that before. Well, that's my theory. And And in the second film, we see that the doctor has been collecting these (laughs) news clippings. Yeah, I know. Because he's a real wonk for this kind of stuff. Yeah. And it talks about, like, teenage psychics. So I thought that's what it was. But she has, like, this weird premonition dream about uh, her father, presumably, dying. And I didn't know if that was just proximity to the box causes weird things to happen. We know that that's true. Right. uh, So anyway, she's got the box uh, in the... A insane asylum. Uh, she yes. plays with it and summons the Cenobites. Yeah, it's like for bad some, news. Yeah, I mean, not like you wouldn't be allowed to have certain objects, but it's kind of like, why did they leave this object in her room with her? But uh, give her a Rubik's cube. Yeah, right. I'll exactly. Her um, <clears throat> but so then she sees like this other creature that we hadn't oh, seen yes, before. The engineer. Yeah, which <laughs> I don't know why it has that name. <laughs> I guess. It's a gooey train, I guess? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's this really weird, creepy, like, like almost like a scorpion yeah. type, like, Fleshy humanoid. Scorpion. Yeah. Which was at the con. Yeah, we saw that at <laughs> yep. the con, along with a couple of uh, Cenobites, including Pen- Pinhead and the guy with the sunglasses. Right. I, I don't remember cool what his name is. Cool guy, Cenobite. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, Joe Cenobite. Joe Cenobite, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, um, it, it's just terrifying and she like freaks out and like she is somehow able to escape her room. Like I think she, she, the Cenobites find her cause she opened the box. Right. And they're like, you summoned us. So you, we're going to take you. And she's like, wait, my uncle Frank has double crossed you. He's still alive. What I'm going to trade, you know. Let me go, and I will give you him. Yeah, I know they're not like devils necessarily, but I like that idea of um, making a making deal. a deal. Yeah, uh, which they Welsh on at the I end know. of the movie. I know. I guess they never like signed anything, but no, they uh, they deserve what they got. Um, yeah, so <laughs> basically, they let her go simply because she says, you know, there's you're not that great. Somebody got away from you, and I right. guess they're if they're going to have a lot of sins, not only lust but pride. They're like, well, we can't let yes. that happen. Yes. So, so go, I think they help her escape, right, from the insane asylum or the psychiatric ward, I should uh, say. I think so. Because I don't know how else she gets out because that the door be. is locked. Yeah. Anyways. I also like the fact that, you know, as we'll learn in the second movie, there's this whole other world. But like the yes. wall opens up and there are these like weird passages and you just get the impression that, well, you don't want to go 
in there. No. The guy with the pins in his face, that's bad, but there's all kinds of stuff. Yes. On the other side of this wall that right. you, you wouldn't want a part of that shit. Right, exactly. Lots of gooey, disgusting creatures. <laughs> yes, it just oceans of goo. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so then she goes back to the house and she demands to see her father who, little beknownst to her, is already dead at the hands of Frank and yes. Julia. And now Frank is wearing Larry's skin, which is just, I think, the creepiest thing about this movie, you know? And, like, even when he's talking to her, I know it's a little light, but it's, like, you can see, like, the blood on his forehead and, like, the back of his neck. And yeah, and it's where he really gets to shine, I think, Andy Robinson in this yes. dual performance is because he's not even doing uh, the other actor's character necessarily no. he's just going from being larry who as you know as andy robinson himself <laughs> is kind of a kind of a dupe and yeah uh but now he's just completely different you know and of course come to daddy yeah which is just ugh. and of course it's something that frank has said to her before so uh just i don't know emphasizing that possible abuse i think um yeah uh and is super gross uh (laughs) and then she rips his face yeah she rips his face because apparently when you tear somebody's skin off uh it loses a lot of its structural integrity (laughs) it becomes like exactly like latex ish (laughs) or sort of rubber yeah yeah it does uh, and then, like, he's going to stab her, and he accidentally stabs Julia instead, and, like... Oh, well. Yeah. He's not <laughs> terribly torn up about it, and it's like, dude, like, if you... If it wasn't for her, you wouldn't even be where you are right now. Yeah. But he doesn't seem to care, even though supposedly he was offering no, her this yeah. life that they would run away together. Right. And I that's something else that, I mean, as the movie closes out, you know, the Cenobites show up, they discover that, yes, Larry, uh, or at least... Frank. Yes. Which they're kind of fooled too. You'd think they'd be able to see into somebody's soul or whatever, somebody that they spent all this time like interacting with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they need to sort of hear it from his mouth. And then once they hear that, it's like, okay, well, rip you apart, she's wept, you know, we're, we're good. Exactly. Um, but yeah, the character of Frank is interesting. We, we don't, we, we get the idea that he is this sort of burned out individual who needs to feel pain or, right. or pleasure or whatever. He is sort of a human version of them. Yes. Which is weird because later on we find out that they are humans. And so my question yeah. is like, if Frank has sought them out, endured all their tortures, escaped somehow, mm-hmm. and then when they send him back, he kind of feels like he's getting what he wants, right? It kind of feels Because we've got way. that specific thing where he's like... Yeah. And he licks his lips, you know? And then he's yes. like, Jesus wept. <laughs> yes. He's kind of getting what he wants. So how come he doesn't get to be a son one of, of them? Why does weirdo doctor guy get to be one later on? That is a very good question. Yeah, what's the what's the selection process? Yeah. <laughs> because all the Does other ones... Does your soul have to be dark enough or something yeah, like that? Yeah, but then later on we find out it's like, oh, it's a rubber lady, it's a rubber guy, and then a kid? Yeah, like, I know. Why are you chosen? Why are you part of the elect to be one of the Cenobites? I, that's a very good question. Maybe Larry was like too willful because... Oh. I don't know who makes the decisions, and I haven't seen. I've seen one, two, and three, and that's it. I haven't seen sure. past, but maybe, maybe um, Pinhead and company are making the decisions, and they're like, "We had fun, like torturing slash effing this guy, but 
clearly he would be if we gave him Cenobite powers, he'd be like competition. He wouldn't just join right. the ranks, right. right? Sycophants, right? Lady with a split open throat, yeah, right? D- teeth chattering guy, right? Exactly, oh, right? Because right. that's exactly what happens. Like Julia has her own side business. Where she's picking people yes. for Leviathan, the god of the uh, the space or whatever. Right. And look what happens. I know. He becomes like evil Dr. Octopus and kills everybody. Yeah, <laughs> so, I know, right? Yeah, so maybe like Frank was really good at it, but he was like too good at it. So that he wasn't chosen. Yeah. Um, and later on, of course, he gets just sort of trapped there in uh, Hellraiser 2. Yeah. I mean, maybe like he wasn't given to the Leviathan, so he wasn't a chosen Cenobite. Right, but they wouldn't want to because they would have had a doctor on their hands. Well, okay. Do you you think the doctor was chosen because he was a doctor? No, what... Listen, okay, so let me go through it one more time. Okay. I'm saying that Leviathan wants everybody. I think he'd like to make the whole world... Because remember, the Cenobites, I don't know, Penhead seemed to have have it pretty good, but the doctor's like tortured as well as torturing, like they feel the pleasure and the pain. I see, And yeah. so I think that Leviathan would take, and whoever's seen the rest of the films and read the stories is probably knows I'm wrong. But from what I get from this, Leviathan will take anybody because sure. he, everybody he takes becomes a pleasure pain zombie. They're tortured sure. themselves and they find more people. But I think that like Pinhead who's been here since like World War One has yes. kind of set up his own side thing. He sort of stopped the process and said, well, we get to do whatever we want. So me and my crew, whenever you read the box, we come out and we mess with you and torture you and we enjoy that. That's now our like pleasure. Sure. But I think Leviathan would rather have lots of pinheads. And so when Julia sort of goes around the bouncer and ends up in there the right. way that Frank kind of did... She gets the message from Leviathan. She's like, okay, I'm going to start grabbing people because now I've gone from a lady who likes to have her lips rubbed by a finger to (laughs) a lady that wants to see other people be tortured like me. And so she goes out and does that to the doctor. But the doctor is super special because he's been doing this his entire life, like obsessing over this, studying. I think the other boxes are fakes. Really? Don't you think? Okay. Is there like, there's a Lamont, there's a <laughs> there's a rerun right. <laughs> configuration, right. there's, there's a Jimmy Walker configuration. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, anyway, a lot funnier than you gave credit for. Um, <laughs> but I think that like, they're probably fakes. Like over the years, okay. people say, oh, this is the box, but he's got his hands on them, but this is like the real box. So anyway, okay. he's been prepping for this like, like, like his entire life. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when he gets in there, he's like... A monster who's going to do take over the whole thing. I see. I see your point. So I think that, like, yeah, like, Pinhead is the person who is, like, selected to go out and get people, but he's sort of paused it because he's like, oh, I like doing this. Right. And when the doctor comes, he's, yeah. Anyway, that's what I think. Okay. Um, I, I think it's interesting that you think the other boxes are fakes because I was kind of, like, disturbed. Oh, they're probably, I'm sure they're not. In Hellraiser 14, they're probably... Well, I was like disturbed one to goes find to the out the candy dimension or something. Well, I was disturbed to find out that there was more than one box because I mean, this box as we see at the the end of the first film gets returned to the old Asian guy in Morocco. Well, they didn't know they were going to make a second movie. That's why the house still exists after it disappears in the first one. I know. Can we talk about the uh, cricket bum? Yeah, let's. Um, he's creepy and weird. Is he the devil? I think he's the devil, but I think he's also... Isn't that the, that's so reductive? We've gone beyond 
the de- good and evil and the devil, haven't we? Yeah, I think we have, but... I, I mean, I, it's his movie. Yeah. Barker directed it, so he got to do what he wanted to do for the most part. And I think he actually morphs into the old Asian guy who's selling the box. Oh, you think that he's the... That I, that's, that's what I think. After the whole cycle is kind of blown up because... Pinhead and his crew are, at least for now, killed or eliminated. Mm -hmm. And the doctor's head is cut in half. Yes. And Julia's been sucked off to God knows where. Right. That sounded fitting, I guess. Uh, (laughs) We've got nothing. And so there's just a mattress. And at the end of it, like, the pillar comes out of it. And then one of the faces on the pillar is... The, the cricket bomb. I know. And he's like, hey, what's up? I know. What's your pleasure? Exactly. Governor? He asks, what's your pleasure? Like the the old Asian guy. Yeah. Has. And, and mover George Lucas is like, uh, getting out of here? Yeah. No boop, kidding. Boop, 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 but I guess not. Um, like, I don't know who they are moving boxes for because obviously yeah, the doctor is dead. What's the moving guy? No, maybe it's his... <laughs> who hired him? Yeah. His next of kin gets all his stuff. Well, and like the mover guy that gets sucked into the mattress we were positing I was the same guy I didn't from check, the first but that looked like the one of the movers from the original it film. It did. Maybe um, the other guy just grew a beard and that was him too. <laughs> These movies were shot, you know, almost concurrently. Um, sure. They were shot in England, as we talked about. Uh, Clive Barker directed the first one and, of course, wrote yes. it. Um, and his editor on the first film uh, directed the second film. Okay, sure. That makes sense. And um, I think... Parker did a better job on the first one. Oh, wow. Okay. For, for, you know, all of his demurring about not really at that time being a film director. Right. Uh, I think there's a lot of sort of nice, um, very uh, skilled sort of setups. You know, you've got this tiny little house that you picked yep. on purpose. Right. Because it's creepy and it's claustrophobic. And I know he had help from the crew and everything, but I think he put together like a pretty good film. This film is very TV. There's a lot of, you know, the camera's just set up. People walk into frame, they talk, they walk out of frame. There's like (laughs) at the very end as Tiffany and and Kirstie triumphantly like make their way out of the labyrinth. Yes. The doors close and they hug each other and they're happy. They stand up off the floor and walk out of frame and it's just like two crotches leaving the frame. Like there's... (laughs) You could have done anything. You could have had the camera move. You could have cut to another angle. Yes. There's so many things you could have done. You could have like faded on them just, you know, comforting each other or something. But right. you just didn't, I don't know. He, I think he thinks like an editor. Okay, sure. Um, yeah. And like the last shot we see is them in two oversized like coats. It's the 80s. I know. Leaving the hospital, which... Also kind of looks like a maze of its own right, like yeah. with trees and shrubs and stuff like that. And there probably wasn't a hospital because there's no reverse angle of a hospital. It's just them right. looking at something yes. off camera and then walking away. Exactly. To God knows where. Yeah, I know. Um, and I don't know who checked them out of the hospital either. So, <laughs> but Everybody's dead, though. This is true. This is true. And we we know the doctor's dead. So um, I'm probably wrong about the fakes because as soon as the doctor gets... Uh, Cenobite power, he's got all the other patients like chained to their beds, like working on, on boxes, other boxes. Which so, is weird. I don't know. Uh, and they have like hooks in their faces and stuff like that. Too. Yeah, which is like keeps them sort of, I guess that makes them have to work on it. I guess. But yeah. don't the chains come from the boxes? I can't. So maybe it's so. like they, I've got it a little bit. <laughs> you get one chain right. in the face. And when right. you get it all the way, that's when you get like 40 chains. I think maybe you're right. How were you at? Um, three chains down. Yeah. What about you? <laughs> oh, he's got the mouth chain. Okay, he's almost there. 
So I, I just like, it's the kind of thing that if it had never been a movie and if Clive Barker had valued it above his other things that he writes about, you could have eventually got like a really neat sort of nuanced um Second film. World. Yeah. Know, sort of world building. Yes. But, and again, I, I guess I can't judge. I haven't seen all 10 films and <laughs> uh, read all the stories, but I feel like it started to get affected by the fact that it's a film and that there's fans and then you yeah. hand it off to people who aren't as careful with it. And so now you've got this weird, some parts not so great mythology, but otherwise, like, you know, the idea of this crazy labyrinth, you know, right. this space. Um, Leviathan, yes, uh, the god of I don't know pain and misery or whatever right. he is. Um, it's a very D and D kind of thing. It, it shoots out <laughs> yes. beams of dark instead of light. Yes, uh, it's like a, you know the globe of darkness spell in D and D. Always wonder like what does it look like? It's like well, I think they nailed it in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Pinhead is just <laughs> I think I've, we were talking about this before, but I don't. It doesn't add anything to Pinhead for me to find out he was a human. Like, I don't care. No, I, I think like it's... it when he's weird, when he's the Sandman. He shows up. He's unknowable. Right. He's also somebody who has a little bit of character traits. Like, he's kind of petty <laughs> because when they meet Kirstie again, they're like, well, 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 there she is. Yeah, right. <laughs> you're not getting away this time. Or no, you're not going to tease us anymore. Yeah, that sort yeah. Of thing. <laughs> you little tease. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, You know, that's cool. But I don't want to know that he's just some bald guy. World War One. <laughs> like I don't care. <laughs> well, yeah, and like I, I think it's supposed to be like this huge thing that Kirsty like gives him this picture of himself, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and of course remembers. it's all tied into the Doctor character too. Like I know yeah. it's key to the film, but it just leads like the third one is all about um, Terry Phil <laughs> or somebody, yeah, uh, like meeting like the guy and like going back in time and talking to him and finding all, all these things. Like, what was his whole deal? And like, I guess you have to go somewhere in ten films, but I, guess. I don't really care what his deal was. I right. think maybe I can't remember if they tried this. Maybe it's too hot for TV, but I feel like a Hellraiser anthology series would be a great thing. Yeah, if, you, if Robert Altman can do a show about a gun that goes from character to character. Right. Uh, then we can follow the box. The box is the main character. And right. then every week it's just, you know, somebody else. Jordan Peele or somebody produces. And... Yeah. And we see the Cenobites and uh, they have some other um, like introduction or thing that they say to whoever opens the box. And like. I, we got to make get this made. Yeah. <laughs> I have such episodes of this show to show you. <laughs> Would you recommend this film? Yes, um, I I think I especially would recommend uh, the first one because I think it was um, just super dark and, you know, I think it adds to uh, the horror genre. Um, I think it's, even though there are a lot of tropes that you see in horror. um, Yeah, like cursed dangerous objects is a thing, but yeah. Right, I do think it, you know, gives you some iconic things such as Pinhead um, in the box that um you and know just female kind of... cenobite yes <laughs> so like well that... she could have had a name that would have been good her name yeah. yeah yeah uh but she's very creepy as well i mean they all are um and they're all the stuff of nightmares Except so for a cool guy <laughs> his eyes are Joe closed cenobite. shut so yeah um oh that was the thing about the 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 chatterer or whatever um the he the actor apparently had so apparently um a uh, Doug, uh, not Stanley. What's his What's his last name? Bradley. Bradley. Yeah. Um, 
had a lot of trouble um, hitting his marks uh, in the first film. Right. Uh, because he has those contact lenses that you basically can't see out of and it's dark on set. They're like black. Yeah. yeah. So I think they had to do something with that. And then the guy that plays the chitter, I guess it's the chitter. I mean, okay. Um, he couldn't see at all. There was because there's no eye holes in the mask. So he's like, yeah. can you guys give me like some eye holes? Right. So they actually, they did. I guess a lot of fans didn't like it. And <laughs> they actually that was wrote a scene where we find out how he gets eyes. Yes. But for me, it's like, again, we don't cares? need to see that. No. 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 And I'm glad they cut that yeah. because it was it's unnecessary. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we can we can see that these creatures, these Cenobites, they have lives. They have things that happen to them that we don't necessarily see. And we can just accept that, I, I don't think. want to see their lives. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, yeah, the Chatterer can do what he wants. Yeah. Um, um, I do think that the, the second film did add to the mythology. And uh, I do think it's worth seeing as well. How about you? What do you think? Absolutely. Um, the second one, which we... You can tell our enthusiasm because we didn't talk about it quite as much. I remember it being a lot better than it was uh, when we watched it recently. It's not as good as the first one, but I do like what it adds to the um, sort of franchise as a yes. whole. But yeah, it's just an original movie. I like the unanswered questions of the first one. Yes. Um, which is something I didn't like about the second one. <laughs> is she psychic or something? Like, what is going on with the dreams and the right. cricket guy? You know, I'm okay with the demon guy just grabbing the box and flying away with whatever. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's like his creation. Well, no, I mean, he. what I talk about, like, what's happening? I don't understand right. this. Those things come from Clive Barker's weird weird ass mind a man described as a choir boy by andy robinson i know (laughs) when he met him the first time but yeah you know he will show you fear in a handful of dust right exactly uh, like it says on the tin so yeah absolutely uh check it out see these sites did you see them (laughs) i gotta go get some more sites i got i have i have 10 films to show you (laughs) no Well, that's it. Thanks for joining us on a spooky September ween. Yes. It's not, not a thing. <laughs> We're making uh, it a thing. We'll have to do something great for uh, for Halloween this year. Yeah. I mean, last year we talked about some of the classic films uh, that uh, were um, that added to horror. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. Of last so, year. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so uh, we'll do that or something <clears throat> like that. Uh, excuse me. Uh, follow us so you'll be around when we do that. Yes. Uh, follow us on social media at Just Enough Trope. Also, check out the other shows on the Just Enough Trope network, like Virtual Theater, the Video Game Movie Show. You can find that at Virtual Theater X, uh, Enterprising Individuals, as I mentioned before. Yes. And try not to mention too much. Uh, Craft of <laughs> Services is returning this week with new episodes. Um, on the next episode, I'm talking with Robin D. Laws, author and RPG game designer about a Orson Welles film, The Lady from Shanghai. Very nice. Yes, it's a noir classic. So uh, listen, uh, catch up with us on uh, Craft a Service, no S, on Twitter to see when that comes out. Uh, find us on all the listening platforms that are out there. Uh, your yes. iTunes, your Stitcher. Stitcher, that's a, that's a horror one, right? Yeah. The Stitcher. <laughs> And subscribe to the show so you can get it when it comes out. Also, give us a review. We want to hear how you think we're doing and give us a rating, please, at the very least. Yes. Because that's how we know that you know that we're doing a good job. So give us five 
engineers. Oh my gosh, no. What's the story? I'm going <laughs> to read up on the wiki right after this. Okay. Just five of them oh. in a line kicking their little legs or are I, they arms? Yeah. Uh, I, in a little dance. Oh my goodness. And uh, look out for that guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of those things where it's like, it's not convincing, but it's so weird that I'm I'm going to agree to be scared by this. Yes, <laughs> you know exactly. I, mean? like, I guess if a wall opened up and there was a hallway beyond with cobwebs in it and then a baby was crying and then a fleshy scorpion came running at me. I know. I wouldn't stop to ask how real it was. No. I would just run. Exactly. Yeah, so it's too scary. Uh, give us five stars instead. Uh, we appreciate that. <laughs> uh, we'll be back next week to talk about something completely different and we're signing off. Until then, I'm your host, Caliban. I'm your co-host, Mikan Hana. Keep the geek fires burning. <laughs>